Welcome to the Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. Today I'm joined by my friend, Kiara Ogan. Kiara is a former UX designer and information architect. She recently left that career to become a mental health therapist. Kiara's background is in library science, and in this conversation, we discuss how she organizes her personal book collection, which she just did in preparation for this major life change. And now, Kiara Ogan. Kiara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jorge. It's great to be here. Well, it's, uh, it's great to see you. Um, you and I are friends and have been friends for a long time. Uh, we've... Uh, We've worked together as well, oh. so this feels more like a catch-up call to me than <laughs> than, than recording a, a, an episode of the podcast, but people listening in might not be familiar with you and your work. Sure. How do you introduce yourself? So that's a really interesting question for me right now because I'm kind of in this liminal space. For the next week and a half, I would say I'm a user experience designer and information architect. But at the end of the month, I am shuttering my business and going back to graduate school. I'm making a pivot, and I'm going to become a mental health therapist. Well, that's really intriguing. And um, and by the time that this episode comes out, this transition will have already happened, right? Yeah, I should be in school because that starts in September. So I think, funny enough, the the topic of our conversation might delve into the implications of this transition and how your background might help you through it in some ways. Uh, sure, yes. So um, you said that you you have been um, in the user experience space and particularly information architecture. Can you talk a bit more about that? Uh, what does your background look like there? Yeah, so I actually started my career as a librarian. I started working in the public library when I was in high school in my town in Connecticut. And um, I really loved hooking people up with information, which is why I went to library school. And I loved like the reference interview and trying to hear the needs when people came in. I need a book on the rainforest. Well, what was that about? Right. Like, what, were they writing a term paper? Are they going on vacation? Like, what is the need underneath the ask? And I worked in libraries for about 10 years. And after a while, I realized I'm less interested in like at this time in the late 90s, taking the porn off the public computers every day that the middle schoolers would install. <laughs> and this web thing was just starting. And that was really interesting. And I was working at a scientific library and I had bought this book, Information Architecture for the World Wide Web for our library and i was like this is really cool and it makes sense and in the back of the book it said the authors at this consulting company argus associates and um they were always hiring so i sent them my resume and a month later i was an information architect working with lou and peter at argus associates 
And I really, I always thought this is it, right? My library skills, I'm now organizing information for people online and I've worked in-house, I've worked as a consultant, as an IA, and then that kind of grew into more, no, actually it's user experience design. It's more than just organizing the content and putting in the structures to help people find what they need. I really got into the um, user research aspect of user experience design. And it was, again, going back to that, what is that need? What are people trying to accomplish? And the last, oh, five, eight years or so um, of my consulting career, I did a lot of research and I really loved that. But after a while, I realized I wanted to go deeper with my clients. I wanted to have more of a connection with the folks I was talking to and helping companies sell more widgets was not really what was like that was that's never been a motivator for me. And it really was no longer ringing true. And I realized what I wanted to do was um, ease suffering and manifest compassion in the world. And I realized that pivoting to therapy was a way that I could do that and both take care of myself because I have some chronic health issues as well as um, bring into the world what I wanted to do. And I see it as kind of this arc of like my career is kind of like these three acts, right? Starting in libraries, especially public libraries, and then all the work I did in user experience design, all of that stuff was helping understand what motivates people, what their needs are, where their pain points are, and helping to find a solution that is gonna help them reach their goals. And I see pivoting to therapy as a natural extension of that. You mentioned uh, working for Argus, which was a pioneering consultancy in the space, mm -hmm. you know, focused on information architecture. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that when you and I met, you were working at Adaptive Path, right? Let's see. It was, we met at one of the early IA summits. So I could have been at PeopleSoft or I could have been at um, Adaptive Path. I joined Adaptive Path in early 2005. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So we met we, we met before that. But I, but I remember you being at Adaptive Path, uh, which kind of reflects that um, that arc that you're describing where it's like it start, sounds like it started like purely on the kind of more IA side, but then it became broader and more focused on UX in general and research in particular, but also just reflecting back what I'm hearing from you, it does sound like there is this logical arc from the, 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 the early days in working in libraries to where you're transitioning to now. And, uh, and the common thread seems to be about somehow connecting people with the information they need to make a difference in their lives. Right. Yeah, that, that really is kind of a crux of it. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you uh, here and, and hopefully share the conversation with other folks is that recently I saw a post of yours in Facebook where you were um, talking about having recently reorganized your personal library. Yes. And I, I kind of lit up when I saw that because... <laughs> Well, first of all, I think that there were photos of your library and, and um, you know, people listening in the podcast can't see, you know, see see us talking right now, but you have your books behind you, right? And uh, 
And just from looking at your shelves, I can kind of tell that they're more or less like the same amount or in the same ballpark as like my books. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that you were reorganizing your library, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to reorganize my books. And if there's anyone I would want to hear from in <laughs> reorganizing my library, it would be Chiara. So um, I would love to hear uh, more about how you went about this, you know, someone with a library science background, uh, you know, how do you reorganize? Well, first of all, how many books do you have, Kara? You know, I was just thinking as you were saying that, I was like, gosh, we t- we touched basically every book in the house, <laughs> which we have at least 10 bookcases. So it's a lot. And we didn't count them. So um, maybe that's a project before I start school, actually count the books. <laughs> but um, it's about 10 bookcases full. 10 bookcases. And, and we're talking like just to give people a, a frame of reference. And just from what I'm looking at behind mostly you. Mostly floor to ceiling. Floor to ceiling, like the the kind of bookshelves that you get in IKEA, right? Like these, uh... these are totally IKEA bookcases. Right. So they're not the Billy bookcases, but they're about three feet wide each shelf, and they got what one, two, three, four, five, six shelves. And they're so. jam packed with books. All right. So yeah, well, so a lot of shelves now have a couple inches at the end of it, which was a big goal, and we'll talk about how I ended up there. <laughs> All right. So. It. So, so what did the what did this collection of books look like before you undertook this project? Were they like all, all over the place, or they were? So, at the beginning of the pandemic, I joined a online book club where every month I get a new hardcover book, and it's been awesome. I've read amazing books, nonfiction, fiction, new authors, genres I never would have read before, memoirs, all kinds of stuff, um, which was I've really enjoyed it. But it meant that every month more books were coming and they literally were doing the stacked on top sideways, whichever which way they would kind of stuff in on the shelves. And because I'm in this liminal, not really doing project work anymore and school hasn't started, I have I'm totally nesting and doing the let's clear out the old, make room for the new, because I'm going to have all these new school books, right? And psychology books that I'm bringing in. Do I really need three shelves of design books anymore? And so the clean out actually happened a year or two ago where I really started weeding my design books. And I keep the books that my friends write. So I still have a whole bunch of design books um, and the ones that are near and dear to my heart. But I donated a whole bunch of them to a daughter of a good friend of mine who is starting out in UX to kind of seed her library. And that kind of started the impetus because reading books is really hard for me. They're my best friends. I have books from college still, like, you know, even elementary school, I still have books. Um, And so it was just getting out of control though. Cause they just, I couldn't find things and they were on top of each other. And I'm like, enough, we need a new bookcase. And so we went all around the house trying to figure out where we could put a new bookcase. And we figured we could put it in the hallway. So I was like, this is great. We'll put a new bookcase in the hallway and we'll move some books over. And that's all it's going to be. And it turned out into about a week long schlep of just about every book in the house. <laughs> so. Are they all, um, are they all physical books or do you read using ebooks as well? I do some ebooks, but mostly just when I'm vacationing. So I went, we went and spent three weeks in Australia a number of years ago. And I was like, I can't bring three weeks worth of books with me. So that's when I bought a Kindle. But 
mostly I, I read physical books. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like that's the the preference there. All right, so yeah. you um, so you are in this uh, transitional space uh, where you have the time, right? That's that seems like a first criterion. It's like you have to have the time for this, and yeah. you 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 decided on a place to start uh, reorganizing things. What did you do then? Did you have did you start like taking things off current shelves and putting them somewhere, or what? What was step one there? So it, it started in the hallway first. We had two. We have two like little half bookcases that was mostly like magazines and odds and ends. So that was the first big clean out of just kind of getting rid of. Do I really need Bon Appetit from ten years ago? No, no, I don't. You know, because I'm a good librarian, right? All my magazines were in the little file folders with dates and like what the magazine is and in chronological order and like all that stuff went. And so that cleared out a whole bunch of room. So then it was like, well, what it, it really was driven by space, right? Because a lot of my books, I separate fiction from nonfiction. That's the first big division. I've always done that. And so I realized I have, you know, I, I'm a big crafter. I do knitting and quilting and embroidery. And so I have patterns and I have books and I have some magazines and a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, hey, these are actually all going to fit on these two shelves in the hallway. So that was like the first thing to go. Right. And it was really kind of a space constraint of this is one unit that all goes together. So, boom, that moved out. And then we put the new bookcase together in the hallway. And that was awesome. And one of the things that I wanted was to have a to-read shelf. That was just something that I've seen people online talk about it and the stack next to the bedside table, or I had started putting books sideways. And that meant read next was the sideways versus if you could see the spine, I had read it. And I was like, no, I want space where I can just see all the new books that I have that's on deck. And so that was a big chunk came off the bookcases and went on to the to read shelf. And I actually reorganized my books a couple of times, um, probably about every 10 years or so they get reorganized. Because when Eric and I moved to a Victorian, we organized all our books by color. Because the Victorian had two, the living room and dining room was basically like one giant room with some, you know, just an archway in between. And so it was this beautiful design statement that went from, you know, white to black with all the rainbow colors in between. And it was beautiful. And when we moved to our house here in the sunset of San Francisco, everything was in color order in the boxes. So that's how it went up. And I bought the same book four times because I couldn't find it because I couldn't remember if it was green or blue or what color it was exactly. And so that's when I was like, all right, it's going back in the order. And so this is about 10 years ago. I did fiction versus nonfiction. I actually broke the dining room table because I took all the books off the shelf and it was too heavy, broke the table in half. <laughs> like that was a lesson learned, like put them on the floor of the chairs this time. But when I did that organization, I had like a loose Dewey order and nonfiction or in fiction. And so this time I wanted things to be a little more strict Dewey order. Let, well, first of all, I'm, I'm very curious about the table, but <laughs> the broken <laughs> that table. Was hilarious. But, uh, but, uh, but I, but I want to pinch and zoom on uh, Dewey order because, yes. um, uh, because again, I'm uh, well. First of all, I've seen pictures of people who've done the organization by the color of the spine thing, 
Right. And I and I always wonder, it's like, well, how are they going to find things that that because that that if you have above a certain number of books, that requires kind of remembering what color the spine of the book is, right. which I don't for like most of my books. Right. I think that's a librarian special skill. Because people will come into the public library and be like, there is this book that was read and it was about cats. And you're like, oh, yes, that's the tale of Mrs. Fluffy Pantaloons, right? And like you just know, right, the book that people are talking about. I also spent time working at Walden Books, a little, you know, what used to be the mall bookstore. And like same kind of thing. I saw something on the Today Show and it was green. And, you know, so you just that just kind of becomes a superpower. But. Like I said, same book four times. I mean, good for Peter um, Morville because <laughs> search findability I bought multiple times. No, it's quite ironic that it's that one, right? Ambient findability. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but uh, all right, so so yeah, so I mean, this validates my impression that this this kind of ordering scheme by color might be more appropriate for smaller collections or ones where you're very familiar with. Uh, with a book, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it, or your your library is less of a using library and more it's just a design feature. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, yeah. All right, so tell me about Dewey because this is something where um, I think a lot of us who have uh, some uh, familiarity with things like information architecture, we've, you know, we know what the Dewey decimal classification scheme is, right? Mm-hmm. But and many people might have heard that phrase, but they might not know how to map that to actually organizing your books. How does that yeah. play out? So um, first, let me just say that my husband likes to tease me because Dewey is an old system for classification, right? It was kind of came out of the Victorian era, early 20th century. And there are a lot of problems with the classification system, right? It is very white-centric. It is very Christian-centric. And there are a lot of biases in the classification system. And um, that is super, super unfortunate. And so those are not reasons why I use this classification system at all. And um, the reason I do is because when I use the Library of Congress classification, I worked in a scientific library. And so I knew I know the classification system for physics and chemistry and biology books, but not the humanities. And my collection is more humanities. And so that's why I default to Dewey, because that's what I know. But I understand that it is that it is problematic as far as classification systems go. Well, but 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 let's start at step zero. Like some folks might not know what we mean by a classification scheme, right? Yeah. So there's two ways to you organize books for findability in a library, right? One is you figure out what subject it's about. And so that's when if you think back to the olden days where we actually had card catalogs, little printed pieces of paper where you could say, I need a book about the rainforest or horses or whatever. And you could go in and you could look up horses and see a little card for every single book that was about that subject. And those are the subject headings for the classification. And then we had to put each book somewhere on a shelf, right? We have a physical object that can only live in one place. And so we, what Dewey did, Melville Dewey did, was come up with a numbering system that said, 
books in this subject belong in this location. So then you can say, all right, I want King of the Wind because that's a book about horses or whatever it is. That's going to be in 427 or whatever I'm making it up, right? Whatever number. So then I can go to the shelf and go to where the 400s are and then find that book. So, and when you say 400s, there is a series of numbers that map to uh, um, classification labels, right? So it might be that horse, yeah. you know, horses, uh, and 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 it's a uh, and it's a hierarchical schema, isn't it? So the way Dewey is broken out is it starts with zero zero point one and it goes to the nine hundred, so it's like a ten unit chunk, and every hundreds place is a different broad category so like the 100s are is like religion and the 200 200 i forget 300s is like social science 400s is um like general science you know 700s is like crafts and stuff 900s is histories and biographies 800s is literature like you know they they kind of chunk it out into the world view that Dewey had and then within say social sciences then that gets broken down into the smaller numbers of you know well is it sociology or is it psychology or whatever as is it civil rights and those then get finer and finer numbers as you go down. So you have like a three-digit code, then there's a decimal point, and then there's more letters and codes. And that has to do with like, um, once you're within a topical area, like how do you order it? So is it, by, it ends up being by author, but you get finer and finer um, slices. And so the books are next to each other by how similar they are in topic. So, and, the, and I think that this, uh, what you're describing might be familiar to people who have perused a large public library, right? Like where? Yeah, that's often where you, Dewey is used these days in public libraries. And again, th this has to, I'm going to throw down some heavy duty library terminology here. We're talking about pre-coordinate versus post-coordinate systems. Ooh, you want to um, expand on that? I'm yeah. So a pre-coordinate system is where we're, we say this has one place where it needs to live and we are going to decide ahead of time what all our little spots are and then we can put our books in that correct one place. A post-coordinate system is something like facets that we use in information architecture all the time now with our faceted navigation or faceted search, where we allow a more matrixed approach. And this works really well for digital content because on the internet, one item can live in multiple places, right? Horses might live under animals, but it might also live under pets or it might uh, transportation history or children's books or, you know, whatever. It has multiple places it can live. And so a post-coordinate system says we're going to figure out all the places it can go and basically tag or classify this as living in all of its homes. And so it can show up any of those places. So it's that's the difference of like physical constraints versus digital it can be anywhere. And and Dewey's uh, classification uh, scheme is one of several, right? And I'm, uh, as you were describing the, the post-coordinate system, I was thinking of, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Ranganathan or Ranganathan? The, 
right, the Indian yeah. librarian? Like, th didn't he have a schema that was more facet based? Yeah, um, his and we're going back a long time to library school now. But yeah, there was a he he was also a, I want to say around the time of Dewey, but like the Victorians in the early 20th century, they were all about like trying to come up with these ways to organize the world and knowledge and how we think about stuff. And so there was like these different approaches of do I do it from this more multifaceted approach of um, there are lots of different entry points, or do I use it as there's one primary, um, which is what the Dewey Decimal System uses. Library of Congress also has a classification system that's very much like Dewey, the same kind of principle of everything has one place. It has a, multiple subject headings, but it has one home. Um, but Different cultures have different classification schemes. So there's a British one. If you go to France, they have their own classification system that's different than what the Library of Congress uses. Lots of universities use Library of Congress. It's a newer system, and it still has a lot of biases inherent in it, but not quite as deeply baked in as Dewey does. You mentioned um, in passing, as an example, you mentioned civil rights. And that stood out to me because it's a phrase that I don't know would have had currency when Dewey was working. Yes. How do these schemes get updated? Like, is there an organization that manages the official taxonomy? There is. So I am less clear on who owns Dewey these days, but they actually publish manuals and books of this is what the subject headings are, this is what the classification schemes are. So if you are working as a cataloger in a library, you can go to these resources and figure out, okay, this book that I just bought belongs here. Um, I know for Library of Congress, there are all kinds of working groups and committees that go through and review subject headings as well as classification numbers. Um, and I think you can like petition and say like, hey, this term is not okay anymore. We need to update it. Like it shouldn't be um, illegal alien or illegal immigrant. Like it should be something else, you know, or change the language to something that reflects society today. Um, and there's a whole process that they go through um, because it's government and it's libraries. It's slow. And I know there are a lot of people that are frustrated at the pace and some of the decisions that are made. But things I know, especially in Library of Congress, um, things have been updated and maintained. I'm less sure about Dewey. I think it has, but I don't know. I've been out of that world a long time. Got it. Well, and that's a that's a really good uh, primer, I think, on the the basics of these things. Uh, but we're talking about it kind of in theory, right? And now I'm super curious about how this impacts the organization of your own library, because you've just gone through this, yeah. right? Yeah. So when my husband and I first moved in together, you know, we merged our two libraries. And I did strict Dewey order for all our books. And that meant I looked in the front of the books. A lot of times they have what's called cataloging in print in the first you know, after the title page, which tells you what the Dewey number is, what the Library of Congress number, if it's a U.S. book, um, and what the subject headings are. And so I looked and my books were actually, you know, 341.78M, you know, and like I would make sure that they were in the correct order. And 
I had a little bit of pride for that. Like, oh, my librarian is happy, right? Um, and when we moved here after the whole color incident and the breaking of the table, I was like, less, I'm not looking up everything because not every books have catalog in print. So I would go online and look at online libraries and find out where they print put them and I was like no that's too much work and so what I actually did and the reason I do Dewey is because I go back to that library I worked at in high school and I can actually envision the nonfiction room it was one big room and it had what like one six rows and I can walk those rows and depending on where I am in that physical library, I'm like, oh, that's 700s, that's 900s. What were the books that we kept by the window, right? And so that's how I think about Dewey now. And so that's how I was able to put my books together. So like computer books are 001s. And same thing with library books are like 098, I think. And so they start always start at the beginning so that I'm pointing to my bookcases like you all can see them. But like that's where Eric's like Unix and C++ books and stuff are. And it's less about strict Dewey order, but more like we're going to start with the computer books. And then we go into some library science books. And then we start going into the religion books. And because that's the flow of the Newtown Public Library in Connecticut, that's the flow of my shelves. I see. So the categorization itself is based on Dewey. Uh, but how you map those categories to the physical shelves is inspired by a yeah. physical space that you have experience with, right? Exactly. There's a, a little bit of... Uh, uh, um, Kind of mapping there between this conceptual space and physical space, and uh, and uh, and I would expect that. And again, you you mentioned that uh, you you were pointing at physical bookshelves, which listeners can't see. Right. But uh, the sense that I got when you were doing that is that now you've transferred that mapping from your old high school library to your current uh, bookshelves, right? And the, yeah, and the reason I did that is so I don't buy, you know, ambient findability three more times, right? I know that it's a design book and I know the design books are all together and they're up at the top shelf, right? And they're not kind of spread out just anywhere in the nonfiction world. Like, I know all my Roman history books are going to be together towards the bottoms of the shelf because they're, oh, yeah, they're 900 something. So they're all down at the bottom. Yeah. And again, listeners can't see the video feed here, but I'm seeing the shelves are just plain shelves. They have no labels on them, right? Like, because if no. you go to a public library, they will have on the, in the end, uh, the end pieces yep. of the shelves, they will have little labels that say, you know, this is 0, 0, 0, 1 to 900 yep. to 300 right. or whatever, right? But uh, is that because you've internalized this arrangement? Uh, you have it kind of in your in your mind? Yeah, I can look and see like, oh, look, here's the life of biography of Julia Child, right? And so I know biographies, that's going to be 900s. And then what we, Eric and I did was we put them in order, the, all their biographies. We have about two shelves worth of biographies. And then they're alphabetical by who the person it's about. So whether it's a biography or autobiography, those are all together. 
And so I just know Julia Child, that's going to be 900. So that's going to be towards the end of my shelves. And then I can kind of, that gets me in the neighborhood. So then I can go and be like, oh, here's Beatrix Potter. That's a P. So Julia must be before her. Okay. So it's, it's uh, the, the first order, the first level of order here is by Dewey categories. And then the second order is uh, alpha by author last name, right? So it, it depends. So the biographies happen to be about are ordered alphabetical by who it's about. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Right. Because I don't have, if I had Julia Child's autobiography, it would be under C, but I have a biography of her. I also put that under C because it's about Julia Child. But like the travel books are not by author. I don't care who wrote them. They're more geographical by where the book is about. So, so. I, I have, uh, just to be clear, I have a biography of um, of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, and it's mm -hmm. called Mornings on Horseback, right? So, okay. So that book would be organized under R because it's about Roosevelt. Correct. It would not be M because it's M, you know, morning is the title of the book. Morning's on horseback, right? No. All right. Interesting. That that seems like a that seems like an exception to the, <laughs> the which is fine, right? Like because these things need to be one of one of the differences between organizing a personal information store and organizing information for others is that you and Eric are the main audience. Exactly. Here, right? So so you can be idiosyncratic, right? I don't have to have my cookbooks in the dining room, which is the main library, under six with all the six hundreds. They're in the kitchen together because that's where we use them. So mm. use comes into play, right? Like I have a shelf above my desk in the office that's mostly empty right now. It used to be all design books and it's mostly empty now because that's where my school books are going to go. The idea being these are the books that I need to put my hands on very quickly. So use factored in a lot. This is such an important distinction because I, I, what, I think that most of us, when we think of libraries, we think of public libraries or or big mm -hmm. institutional libraries where the main purpose of that space is to host the information. But the libraries that we build at home, uh, you know, the main purpose of our homes, for at least for most of us, is not to host our information. It's to accommodate a whole bunch of different tasks, right. which can be augmented or improved through the use of information, Right. Uh, so it's it sounds like that might be a first order um that might even be uh, you know uh, above the the dewey thing which might be like where does it make most sense to have these you know exactly so that's where use and physical constraints i think really came in right like i first separate fiction from nonfiction because they're just two different worlds, right? So that's an easy separation. And then it became, what is the use? Well, the cookbooks go in the kitchen because that's where we use them. The knitting books, I don't need access to all the time and they fit together on these two shelves nicely. So they're gonna go in the hallway. Same thing with the to be read. Well, that fits perfectly on that new bookcase and I pass it every time I walk down the hallway. So I get excited about what I can read next which is an unexpected little bonus that I didn't think about when I put it there. But hey, I, I noticed that I look at it every time, which is lovely. 
You know, it feels really liberating for me to hear you say this because I I tend to be kind of OCD about these things. And uh-huh. uh, I have a bunch of oversized books and those always annoy me because like I can't put them with the other books of that subject because they just don't fit, yes. right? Yes, yes. And, and they, they have to go on the bottom shelf because they're heavier. And uh, and uh, what I'm hearing here, Kiara, which is kind of like something I need to hear is like, it's okay. it's totally okay so your friend and mine lou rosenfeld at one point took all his books off all his shelves put them in a giant pile in the middle of his living room and put them back on the shelves in random order when all of us who were working at argus who were mostly librarians heard this there was a collective (gasps) gasp but he loved it at least for a while i don't know if he still does this or not but he did this because he said i know i have a book about julia child and now i don't know where it is so i have to go through and look at all my stuff and i find other things i forgot i had and that serendipity and sense of discovery and like oh wow i did i for this thing and I, he's like i go off on tangents and it's like being in a bookstore and finding new things all the time and that was what he was designing for right that sense of discovery and serendipity and just like what you happen to stumble upon which you go to an old bookstore and like that's part of the charm right you just start wandering the shelves yeah, and I think that that's one of the big, big pros of um, of that that physical books have over ebooks, that yeah. they do allow that um, that serendipity to happen. You just don't run across old ebooks the same way that you run across old physical books, right? right? Um, all right, that's uh, well, that's that's really really cool. Um, I, I'm sure that we could uh, we could geek out on um, ways <laughs> to organize books uh, for 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 a while longer, but um, I'll just ask you one more question before closing sure. here. Having just done this and knowing that you are kind of preparing for this next um, next uh, uh, undertaking that you're that you're that you're going to start soon. Mm-hmm. What are some recommendations that you might have for people who are looking to better manage physical collections of books? I think one of the first questions to ask is why? So figuring out that motivation, right? Why is it that you have the books? Is it something that really, no, it's just a design aesthetic or you just want it, you know, for status or whatever, which are, there's no judgment on any of the reasons, right? Like that they're all perfectly valid, but depending on what you want, what your why of having these book collections determines what you're going to do with them, right? If you have a rare book collection and you're buying them because it's an investment, you're going to treat them and organize them and take care of them in a very different way than if it's, you know, the shelves of your children's board books that they're going to chew on and spit on and rip to pieces, right? Like it's a whole, it's a different purpose. And so you're, you might put the board books in a basket on the floor and you're not going to do that with your you know, first edition of Jane Austen. So once you figure out your why, that's going to help you figure out those use cases that we were talking about, right? Does it make sense to have the cookbooks 
you know, in the office downstairs when the kitchen is upstairs, you know, like how, how are you, how do you want to live with this? Is this a working library? Is it something that you're going to be referencing? And if it's a working library, you know, it's design books that you look things up and be like, how do I do a class a classification again? How do I, you know, what's the best user research technique for this? Like whatever it is, like then you need to make sure that your organization and however you have them are going to facilitate you quickly putting your fingers on that information, right? Because books are competing with the internet. And so it's very easy to go to Google and just type, what's the best research method for, you know, evaluating classification systems? And instead of reaching for the polar bear book, information architecture for the World Wide Web, and so which is going to be faster? For me, it was always reach for the polar bear book because it's right above my head. That's where I put it. Well, and, there, and, and there's something very special about living surrounded by books. You, know, you use the phrase, how do you want to live with this? And yeah. that, I, I love that image. And it feels like a good place to wrap up the conversation. Yeah, um, my dining room literally is my library. All four walls are have bookcases. And so when we host folks for dinners, like we're surrounded by books. I love that. It's so cozy. No, I, I can totally relate. Uh, where can folks follow up with you, Kiara? So I am online. You can probably find me easiest on LinkedIn, or you can go to my website, kiaraogan.com. Those are probably the two. I don't, I'm not really on Twitter anymore. Great. And I would so. expect that uh, you'll keep the world up to date on your transition into this new stage of your life. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Well, fantastic. Good luck as you embark on that. And Thank you. Uh, also keep us posted on how your library evolves. Always. <laughs> it was so fun to talk about this with you today. Thank you. Same here. Thank you. And thank you for listening. As always, you can find notes and a transcript for this episode at theinformed.life. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, please subscribe to my newsletter at theinformed.live slash newsletter. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate or review it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other folks find it. Thanks 